You are listening to Board Game Cinema. My name is Ryan, and this is episode 21. Board Game Cinema is a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie each week and the perfect board game to pair with it. This week, we look at the 1990 movie Total Recall and the 2016 game Terraforming Mars. In the film hierarchy segment, I look at the top five movies that deal with memory. And in the Be Kind Rewind segment, we'll discuss what we've been watching this week. In this episode, I'm joined by Brooks and Nathan. So grab your dice, grab your popcorn, and let's dive right in. But how real does it seem? As real as any memory in your head. Come on, don't bullshit me. No, I'm telling you, Doug, your brain will not know the difference. And that's guaranteed, or your money back. What about the guy you lobotomized? Did he get a refund? This week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Total Recall from 1990. This movie is directed by Paul Verhoeven and stars Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is a sci-fi action film that has to do with memory implants, spies, ancient alien technology, and Martian mutants, plus the fight for freedom on the Red Planet. Brooks and Nathan will be joining me to talk about the film ahead and consider this a big red spoiler warning. Remember, Quado lives. So I am here with Brooks. What's up, Ryan? How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing good. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I knew you were going <laughs> to You always say. In fact, the last podcast, I listened to it again. And when I was like, oh, I'm doing good. And you're like, that's good to hear. I was like, oh, next time I'm going to get him. <laughs> when he says, that's good to hear, I'm going to like one, two, three, jinx him. And be like, oh, that's good to hear. One, two, three, jinx. You can't talk for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> But um, I know that was not genuine. You're it, that's good to hear. So what? it's always genuine, <laughs> always. After I don't even know how many years, like 20, 20 years, nineteen years. Yeah, it's been I like know when you're years. being genuine, it's not now. And Nathan rejoined the podcast. How you doing, Nathan? What's up, man? How's everything going? Real good, real hot. Thanks for asking. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about a. Um, Another Philip K. Dick-inspired movie. So just like Blade Runner um, was based on a novel by Philip K. Dick, this movie that we're talking about today, which is the 1990 version of Total Recall, um, is based on a Philip K. Dick short story called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. And we're talking about, again, to be clear, the 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger um you know, movie, not Paul the Verhoeven. Yeah, Verhoeven, not the <laughs> remake with Colin Farrell, which I haven't seen. Have you guys seen it? I have seen it. Yeah, I saw it when it have came out. It? I felt like I had to watch a Total Recall 90s version, yeah. like as an adult before I could go back and gotcha. go Colin a. What year did it come out? It was like. Uh, it came out maybe ago? like five, six years ago. Is it yeah. any good? Uh, I remember seeing it and not being crazy about okay. it. I felt like it was, I don't know. Was yeah. that one part in the bar like better at least? Mm, I don't or, even remember. Still <laughs> the same. Honestly, it wasn't very memorable. It wasn't oh, okay. nearly as memorable as the 1990 version in my opinion. So yeah, I just wanted to clear up that um, it is a uh, it is a discussion about the 1990s version. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven, Arnold Schwarzenegger at his peak, at his prime. Classic. Like right before uh, he did T2, yeah. Judgment Day. And, you know, the the whole formula of, like, just fun action vehicle, insane amounts of gratuitous violence for no reason, <laughs> and, like, 
pithy like one-liners like yeah. this is like his whole you know like he he shoots sharon stone and it's like consider that a divorce <laughs> like that that level like i don't we don't i don't know if we make movies like that anymore do uh, we? no i don't think so oh, yeah the part in the end where he's like screw you and he's uh oh yeah he's he giant, has a like... giant drill <laughs> yeah for, like yeah. yeah that's great that's a quotable line and then uh i think the weirdest one is like the bad guy's name is uh, Riddick, I think. Is it a Reddick or something? Richter. Richter. And he uh, gets his arms chopped off and he's like, see you at the party, Richter. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, man, like you just uh, were holding this man's arms while an elevator shaft cut his arms off. And you like laugh and throw his arms yeah. down the shaft and say, see you at the party, Richter. It's dark <laughs> right yeah i don't know like what it was about like uh yeah his you know his, i mean it's like comedic it's comedy yeah i don't know i feel like if you if you think about any other like paul verhoeven movies they're all similar in a way right well maybe not with the comedic lines but they all have the gratuitous violence. Gratuitous violence, yeah. And yeah, I mean, then you think about like anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like it's a, he's always going to have these like one-liners that are just going to be ridiculous. So, but yeah, when some guy's arms get chopped off and you're still holding on to them and you laugh about it, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's kind of dark. It's kind of dark. I mean, I wonder if Richter even heard him when he was going no, down and screaming. He's like, dead, ah, right? yeah, it was just for the audience. <laughs> he's like. So when you talk about Verhoeven and gratuitous violence, um, this movie is kind of in, uh, he had like a string, Verhoeven had a string of sort of iconic science fiction movies, right? Because he did Robocop, Starship Troopers, and Total Recall, and all three of those movies, you know, Starship Troopers maybe as less iconic, obviously, as than Robocop or Total Recall, but still, like, he had a really good run of some really great science fiction movies, um, and most of them have like a lot of blood and violence and, you know, that's kind of his deal. Right. Yeah. Um, and this movie was right up there. So just a couple of facts about the movie. Um, so this, you know, it was written based on a short story written by Philip K. Dick. It was screenplay was by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, who also worked on alien. They were the writers of alien, the movie alien, um, which we talked about before on the show. Uh, David Cronenberg was set to direct this movie. Um, he had a totally different movie kind of in mind, obviously, you know, being the the horror, body horror guy that he is. Um, one of the strains of his drafts of the movie that we do see in the Verhoeven version is the mutants and like all the mutant stuff on Mars. Mm. That comes from, you know, Cronenberg's versions of the movie um and that he was working on prior to the movie that we got um that aren't in the source material um but he left the project and went on to direct the fly which itself is like a great movie solely because it has jeff goldblum which any movie with jeff goldblum (laughs) as we all know is amazing (laughs) um uh, so you know we talked about the one-liner action scenes and like Arnold's portrayal of those. And it was a movie with um, Cronenberg was maybe going to be, maybe going to be Roy Schneider in the lead. And then clearly they went in another direction. Um, then it was going to be um, Patrick Swayze, who we've talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. 
And then it kind of like languished again in like pre-production hell until Arnold saw the draft, had seen RoboCop, approached the studio, Carol Co., and asked them like, hey, I want to make this movie. I want to star in it. And I want this guy Verhoeven to direct. And I want it to be like a violent, you know, action thrill ride. And that's kind of what we got, right? It was all yeah. like thanks to Arnold. And I didn't know it was thanks to Arnold. Yeah, that's it was crazy. his like push to get the movie made. They've been trying to make it for years and years and years. And it's his push to bring it across the line. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about that um, movie that we did get. Um, did you guys like it? I liked it. I I mean, look, I hadn't seen it. I don't know that I had ever seen it from beginning to end before a week ago. Um, I feel like I, I definitely had watched it at some point, but I didn't remember all of like the little details about it. But watching it more recently, even though there are a lot of cheesy things about it that I did remember, like with some of the special effects that are, you know, very obviously special effects. Um, overall, I really like this movie. <laughs> Yeah, it held up, right? Like, yeah, yeah so like, I, I really liked it. So Lewis isn't here. He left early. But, you know, the thing that he said is like, oh, I watched it again. It was, it was so cheesy. But for me, I had the exact opposite effect. Yeah. Like, I felt like, wow, this movie holds up. Yeah. Like, yeah. great. Like, there's some parts that are obviously not yeah. the best. Right? The special effects, not always the best. So let's talk about that. So it, it, it's sort of like the last of the era of practical effects, right? It's right mm-hmm. at the cusp of like everything just becomes bad looking CGI, right? And there's a little tiny bit of bad CGI in the movie, but overall it's a lot of like makeup, miniatures, practical effects. And I think for the most part, it like really works for me. I mean, well, sorry, I was just going to say, there is some CGI in there that's not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. Like I was shocked how good it was in some areas where like he has the, you know, the mirror image of himself. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. that actually looks really good right. for it to be, like, 1990. Yeah, 30 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought, like, the creature in the end was pretty cool. Like, the the mutant, like, lifting his arm up at the end. Like, I, I really thought the special effects were really so great for its being, time. being Quato? The, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Quato lives. Yeah. Like, what messed with me, though, with the film was, like, continuity things. Like, there's, like, the first big gun battle when he kills, like, four dudes. Like, in the very beginning of the movie... Like, after he kills them, like, the camera, like, goes up, and you see people just walking around the street like nothing's going on. Like, (laughs) you know they heard gunshots. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, I don't know. That was just, like, one thing that kind of irked me. And it happened early in the film, so I was just, like, skeptical the rest of the way. Mm -hmm. But I sat through it, and I wouldn't say I sat through it. Like, oh, man, it was terrible the whole time. I mean, I think a 7.5 that IMDb gives it is uh, pretty reasonable. That's pretty high. I didn't realize it was that high on yeah. IMDb. That's, yeah, that's what's up. And and let's not forget Sharon Stone's <laughs> in it. You know, yeah. like she definitely brings a certain quality to the film. <laughs> yeah. She does. No, she's, I mean, like as the bad, as one of the bad guys, uh, yeah. I thought she did a great job. I mean. And Michael Ironsides. Yeah, yeah Michael Ironsides. He's always fun to see yeah well there are a lot of things that he did that didn't make any sense whatsoever like firing his gun into the opposite direction of where the bad guy is just because he's like desperate to kill somebody oh yeah like the train like that happened so many times yeah shooting randomly yeah i mean so yeah there were some bad parts to the movie but you can just ignore this 
So we watched it outside on as part of the Borgen Cinema outdoor cinema experience, and or Brooks and I did. And I I, I feel like I feel like it was a movie that um, I mean it's it's pretty well appreciated. I mean, obviously yeah. it has some place. Like Nathan said it has seven point five rating, and, and I could see why. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's even though it's been so long, even though some of the shots don't hold up, even though there's some questionable continuity. Overall, it it was like a fun movie with like yeah, a lot it was definitely of fun. um for me with a lot of like action that was pretty cool and like you know those those one liners were pretty funny, um like stepping on dudes that were dead and oh god using yeah. like yeah. innocent pedestrians as body shields yeah yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I mean there are some really great parts he did do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I mean so the. I don't know. Yeah, it. I I thought it really held up well. There are some things that aren't so great about it, but again, they're not. They're like few and far between. One idea that's central to like a lot of Philip K. Dick's work is this notion of the slippery nature of reality, and at its core, Total Recall is a movie about like reality and memory, and I wanted to sort of talk a little bit about. You know, in in a spoiler environment, so talking freely, a little bit about the the core of the movie Total Recall. So essentially, there's a couple of interpretations of the movie. One is that Arnold's character, um, Quaid, goes to Total Recall because he wants to go on a vacation. He's been dreaming of Mars. He seems interested in Mars. He wants to go on a vacation his wife doesn't want to go to Mars. So he goes to this place, total recall where they tell him they can give him an implants for memories of a two week vacation from the comfort of, you know, their facility he doesn't have to leave the, con- the the planet and he can get all the enjoyment out of like a vacation. And not only that, he can like choose like a s- certain like scenario and be a different person and choose like a different environment. And he chooses like secret agent. They try to put him under, and he rejects it because he had. They find out to their surprise that someone else had already been messing with his mind and his memory. Well, they knew it was the agency. The agency, yeah. And they, um, it, it leads to them having to like sedate him and dump him in a Johnny cab. At which point he's then confronted by his like coworker who reveals himself to be like an undercover like spy that's there to like collect him and bring him back to Mars. And he like fights them off and he, you know, there the the adventure begins where like he goes to mm-hmm. Mars and like finds out like, you know, who he was and meets Quado, the secret leader of the Mars resistance. And you then find out that he's like was a a plant by Cohagen, like the you know the the whole time that they had had this hatched this plant together, and his real name's Hauser, and you know it leads to like this freedom of the Martian like people, um from Cohagen's like corporate like overlord rule, because so they have could, to like buy air, you right. know, yeah, exactly. So you could interpret the movie as that way, right? Like this happened, he was gonna do this implant thing. But right, the, cru- the 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 crucial moment, it like failed, and he like went and had this adventure anyway, where he found out all the stuff about his like real identity, and like right. Or another interpretation is probably the one that's like more preferred, is that um, he goes there as this person to have this memory vacation, and it goes 
fine. It doesn't go awry. They make him think it goes awry because that's all part of the memory. So at minute 18, when he closes his eyes, everything you see after that minute 18 mark in the movie is all part of this like fantasy slash fake memory slash dream, whatever you want to call it. And it ends exactly as how they said it would end. And it goes to like white. It fades to white and not to black. And where do you guys fit? And if option A is everything happened and option B is he at mid 18, it's all a, a fake memory at that point. Are you guys on land of A or land of B? I'm on land of A because earlier in the film, they talked about somebody getting lobotomized from it and like the agency, like constantly trying to keep him away from it. So I don't know. I'm, I think I'm in the A category. I'm the opposite. So I do think that, well, just because uh, like you said, like Philip K. Dick, so many of his stories, you don't know what's real and what's not. And I do think that um, in this movie, Again, from my perspective, it's it's fun to like look at movies in a different way and to to see them in a light that isn't so obvious, but it still makes sense. So I like this theory of yeah, he goes in to get these memory implants, and everything in the movie is exactly what he signed up for. Is this secret agent package, and he goes to Mars. And I mean, yeah, when you're talking about the type of technology that they're talking about in the movie to be able to implant memories, then they could literally implant the entire movie into like, that's, it's all a, it's all a memory that's been implanted. Um, and you could even say that, I mean, yeah, they, you know, if they say, okay, this is where the memory starts, you could even go back to the very beginning of the movie and say, that's all part of the memory that they implanted too, because the very first scene is him with this woman that he meets later in the movie and she's in his dream. He wakes up. His wife is like, oh, who's that you're dreaming about? And mm. you're always dreaming about her. I would even go so far to say that that could also be part of the memory that's implanted. So, uh, yeah. So I, I haven't, I've never heard that interpretation where the entire movie from the very beginning is a dream. Verhoeven on the DVD commentary, he definitely says at minute 18, everything you see the rest of the movie is a dream. Oh, he says that? Oh, yeah. I didn't like, know that. No, no, yeah. He said, he said that like in the DVD, when the DVD came out in the commentary section. Oh, wow. He says every, his version of the movie that he put out is that at minute 18, everything you see after that is all part of this dream that they've like put into him. The reason why you see Melina at the Total Recall facility in his mind is, which they don't really explain it very well in the movie, but... At the beginning, basically, they build this memory, these fake memories on ideas that are already in your subconscious mm. anyway. And so because he had been dreaming about this lady, then they just used her as his like love interest in the movie. So it's kind of like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind where they yeah. like harvest these elements out of your memory and do things with them like later. So that's what they did to, that's what Verhoeven says he did to them and then when the movie ends it doesn't fade to black like most movies does it fades to white because he's been lobotomized that's the purpose of the movie is that Ooh. it's the dream is over but it also had gone awry and this bad thing had happened to him and oh, he's so, like lobotomized okay. that's but, up. <laughs> but yeah that's wild but that's not necessarily what um 
I believe. Yeah, I was going to um, say, just because the director says something doesn't mean that you have to take the movie for that. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's art, right? Right. Like, exactly. It does, yeah. you, know, you put out art, and then it's up to other people to like... They're inter- their they can interpret it, it however they want. Right. And he has backed off of that a little bit. Um, since then, he also had another interview where he said, like, well, we worked really hard to make it where both interpretations can hold true. There's no one way to point at one interpretation and say like, this doesn't work because of this happened or whatever. For me, the bigger argument in Nathan's camp where it's like, no, it really happened, which as a viewer for the longest time until I started doing research for this podcast, I wanted to be in the Nathan camp where I was like, no, I like it better if it's like really happening. I just like it better. It just makes more sense to me. But in his camp, which you talked about this the other night, Brooks, when we watched it, was if this is all a fantasy, if this is all a dream, we have so many shots, even initially, of (laughs) of other characters. If it's a dream, it should be from Arnold's POV. It shouldn't be an omniscient narrator. It should be the mind and what the person sees of the protagonist, the dreamer. But instead, we're given a dream without a dreamer, right? We're given, like, we're seeing Quake, we're seeing... Richter talked to Cohagen in his Cohagen's office and like telling all this details that Arnold doesn't know because the majority of the movie, it's not a typical Arnold protagonist. He's not like in charge. Like Quaid has no idea what the hell's going on. He's like <laughs> always three steps behind, right? So it's really weird to me if this is all a dream. Why are we presented with these like other POVs? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I agree. And yeah, I I, I definitely mentioned that the other night because. As soon as it hits that 18 minute mark, right after that, you see all these shots of like people that Arnold's not around whatsoever. Right. And it's like, like why would this all be part yeah. of the movie if it's all from his perspective? Like the salesperson freaking dream. out. When yeah, exactly. Gonna... Yeah. But then again, I mean, it's a movie. So right. um, if it was all from his perspective after that and none of it was, I don't know. It can get messy. Obvious, yeah. It can be really. That, I imagine that would be really difficult to pull off. Sure, but you could do. I mean, they literally have done movies yeah. where like it's from someone's eye, like their view of from their eyes, right? Yeah. That's but right. I feel like um, it's it's easier to present a narrative in which you can see like other characters. A lot of Philip K. Dick's work is about um, empathy and about whether something that's not real, like something that's fake, can have more empathy than a human. Which is kind of the same message as Blade Runner, where empathy shows your humanity. And like Roy Batty at the end of the movie, he shows empathy for Deckard and saves him. And in this movie, if Hauser is real and Quaid is fake, that same theme is there where Quaid is empathetic. He wants to help the Martians. He wants to have this revolution. Yeah. Where Hauser is like evil. <laughs> if he, if yeah, Hauser is the real, absolutely. the real human... The real version that he's exists, a bad guy. Then he's like the bad guy of the movie. Yeah. So Arnold thought, is the bad guy and the good guy. Yeah. How do you get to manage both? Yeah, it's like how does your personality change because of memories change, you know? Well I guess his memory changes. So his memories are his memories are what create him. They're what make him as a person. And the memories they allegedly implanted in him for eight years where he's married to Sharon Stone. They're memories of a completely different life where he is this new person and he has a different personality and he does, he reacts differently to scenarios that are good and empathetic. I don't know why they would give him that memory if he's really a bad guy. Um, 
Unless it's like to get him to this point where the, he like helps uncover the yeah, I think that's why. Well, they I, I guess that's the reason good. they yeah. wanted him to be good until that he could like be a double agent. Kind yeah, of thing. but at the same time, it's like they they went too far and they made him so good that he like completely backfires. Messes up and, their whole plan. Yeah, messes up the plan. If it's real, which is probably not. It's no, probably it's not all real. part it's of all the story. <laughs> because yeah, because it's all a dream. Even at the beginning, the lady says like. Even at the beginning, the lady's like, oh, I haven't seen this one before. Throws this program to this kid, to the kid technician. He's like, oh, blue sky on Mars. That's yeah. new to me or whatever, right? And so, like, they're kind of predicting That's there. Right. That's, like, a lot yeah. of people use the evidence for your side of the argument, Brooks. is like, see, like, right away they're predicting it. The salesman basically says, like, you can get meet the girl and uh, defeat your, kill the enemy at the end and save, save the, the world. Martian world. Yeah. And, like, that happens. Edgemar, Dr. Edgemar, I think is his name, he predicts exactly what will happen. He'll be like, if you don't get out of this, then the walls of reality will begin to break down. You'll think you're saving the people from Cohagen. Then you'll feel you'll realize you're Cohagen's best friend. He like predicts like the outcome of the movie. Yeah. And there's lots in the movie about prediction of the future. The salesman predicts the future. Dr. Edgemar predicts the future. Even the mutants that he meets on the street multiple times are like, yeah. oh, I'll see your future. I can tell your future. We have this ability to be able to tell you your future. And so that's definitely a theme in this movie that gets carried on um, in some other Phil K. Dick works that we may or may not be talking about soon. Spoiler alert. Where, <laughs> 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 you know, where your, your future and your ability to alter your future are always in question. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that I, I think the movie can be interpreted different ways, which I think always makes a great movie, Yep. It, especially if it's not obvious, if it's one way or another, and you can actually have two people, uh, argue both ways and they both make sense. You guys both make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan makes more sense though. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Cause you think it's real. He's really doing it all. Well now I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> I got to watch it again. Oh, no. Questioning reality. <laughs> Which I is mean, the whole I, point of uh, Philip K. Dick short stories and novels and everything. Am I really breathing air? I don't know. <laughs> good question. It's like postmodern. Is anything true? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's great. Uh, if we were to talk about some of the negative aspects of it, I think it really just comes down to some of the special effects. They are very like dated. Um, with some of like the. You know, some of like the um, the prosthetics, like the faces and stuff, but they're weird. They're definitely Cronenberg weird. weird. To me, the bigger problem is like when you see the outdoor scenes in the future world, it looks like Mexico City, which it was shown to Mexico City. And like if you compare a movie, we, we talked about the night that we watched it. When you compare the outdoor scenes of Arnold like running from the station that you were talking about earlier with the Coke sign and the you know Best Western sign and everything in the background. You compare that for the movie that came out eight years earlier, Blade Runner. It's like Blade Runner looks like the future. Yeah. Arnold true. looks like he's running around in Mexico um, with some like more weirder cars. Like yeah. Things stuck yeah. on regular cars, cars to make them look futuristic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, definitely. So, yeah. No, I agree. I, I think that comparing with Blade Runner, the special effects, the futuristic like view of Blade Runner is so next level. Yeah. And this movie was one of the most expensive movies ever when it came out. Totally yeah, cool. That's crazy. And, like, I don't see that on the screen. I see a fun, no, cool action yeah, movie. Agreed. But I'm not seeing Blade Runner level future world. Right. Like, I don't think, I hope the future doesn't look like that. Yeah. Because it looks like right now. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it, it could have been like a, like another future, like a future that didn't quite make it to Blade Runner. Like, 
Yeah, we got Earth is like Blade Runner, but Mars we're still colonizing, so it looks like trash. And we got people with like weird heads that look like. Sure, sure. I but I, I mean, that's fine. It's fine to be like, well, this is like a different version. It's not going to be as as you know. Maybe this isn't look like the world of Blade Runner. Maybe this is like a future that's very close to like our world now. But for me, it's like um, it doesn't. When I'm watching the movie, it takes me out of the movie because I don't feel like I'm watching a future version of the world. I feel like I'm watching a movie where they didn't quite succeed at making a future version right. of the world. Yeah. <laughs> does yeah. that make sense? Like, yeah. does that? It, it is that a fair? Is that fair? I, I think that's a fair assessment. I can't wait to watch it again with this new idea. Yeah. Yeah. And the agency, you're gonna look out for the agency. Yeah. The movie, the movie taught me two things. One is to beware the agency, whatever that is. And two, don't get in a Johnny cab because if you <laughs> don't pay, they will explode. It yeah. Might literally be like a nuclear explosion. Yeah. Apparently. They, if you don't pay, they just crash <laughs> and yeah, they cause the car to blow up and try to kill you. Well, I think that would be the case, especially if you mess up with one of our Johnnies, you know? With what? If you mess up what? M- mess up the Johnny. Like he pulled yeah, a Johnny he, like, off of it. Johnny oh, goes right. manual with yeah. it. Yeah, he did go manual. Yeah. Because Johnny wouldn't cooperate. It's pretty yeah. crazy because, like, after seeing that movie, it connected to an old zombie game we used to play where, like, oh, yeah. there would be a bus that That's was automated right. and uh, you get on the bus to go from one area to another. Yep. It's very much a Johnny Cab, yeah. Johnny Bus. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, you guys have anything else you want to nope. add? All right, well, I did want to give a shout out to a couple people whose YouTube videos I watched in preparation for this talk today. Um, one was Strontium Crypt. It's a YouTube channel that has some cool total um, recall videos. Um, uh, collaborative Learning. Um, this guy has ridiculous amounts of videos, some of which are like an hour and 30 minutes about total recall and 30 minutes about total recall. And like, like it's pretty way smarter than me stuff. And then uh, Oliver Harper, he had some pretty good insights um, that I gleaned from watching his Total Recall videos on YouTube. So check out those. Um, I like the soundtrack. Jerry Goldsmith's yeah. like soundtrack. Yes, yeah. pretty recognizable as his work. And it definitely made, like, again, summer action fun movie. Like, you know, yeah. it succeeds at that. Uh, we did point out some of the short fall, shortfalls, but I think overall, at least for me, the movie was successful. And again, sort of carried on this theme of some really cool questions, you know, science fiction type questions that Philip K. Dick's work asks. Yeah. So I enjoyed it for that. Yeah, um, I always enjoy it. Thanks for taking the time to talk about the movie, Brooks. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're not welcome. And Nathan, <laughs> thank you so much for joining again. I had a lot of emails people requesting you to return to the show. Awesome. Like wondering when you were going to come back on. Yeah, I really uh, like uh, doing this whole thing. Yeah. I'm not going to cut out all your parts like I did last time. I'm just going to cut out like half of it. Appreciate that. No problem. (laughs) So we'll be, you know, after this, we'll have an ad. And then after this ad, um, we'll be back with some info about a really fun game to play that you could play after watching Total Recall. Because in this week's episode of Morgan Cinema, we are all about the Red Planet. This week's episode is sponsored by Johnny Cab. Johnny Cab asks, where can we take you tonight? Johnny Cab is the first robotic rideshare company. Our vehicles are safe and comfortable. Never deal with corrupt cabbies again. Each Johnny Cab is equipped with state-of-the-art robotic artificial intelligence driver. 
Our automaton drivers are friendly and offer safety reminders and the fastest routes to your destinations. Arrive in comfort and in style with a Johnny Cab. Download our app today to see if we are in your area. If we're not there yet, we'll be coming soon. So remember, at Johnny Cab, we hope you enjoy your ride. See at the party, Richter! This week, we look at Terraforming Mars, a board game that came out in 2016. Terraforming Mars is a one to five player game that lasts about two hours. It was designed by Jacob Frixilis with art by Isaac Frixilis. This is an incredibly popular game that has many expansions and has really made some waves in the tabletop scene since it debuted. It is a fun Factor 5 game where each player is a corporation that are vying to terraform Mars. The players use cards with real scientific technologies in order to create oceans, an oxygen atmosphere, and to raise the global temperature. Nathan and Brooks join me to talk about this fun game. Okay, so we're going to talk about a good game to play after you've watched a movie, Total Recall, and that is Terraforming Mars. So let's dive right into this amazing game, Terraforming Mars. We played it, and Nathan won. Congratulations, Nathan. Finally. Yeah. Great job, Nathan. You you destroyed us. Yeah, actually uh, won by a lot. Well, you beat me by a lot, <laughs> but I don't know if you beat everybody. Did he beat everybody? Way to brag. He didn't. He almost I mean, like, only won by like 30 points. So I'm not salty about it. I feel like I didn't get off to a great start. Um, but Lewis got very salty. <laughs> he went home. Stormed out, <laughs> stormed out because he was just covered in salt. He had to go home and wash the salt off from that destruction. Because I just think he won. I think he thought in his heart he was going to win. Yeah, he was up for like most of the game. He then he ended up losing pretty badly. Um, but I, I say that because you know when he we sat down, he was like, "I'm going to win." That's why I think he thought he was going to win <laughs> because the, the, he was. We sat down to play, and I was like, "All right, everybody, hope everybody has a a good fun game." And he was like, <laughs> first of all, you've never said that before a game. That's not your idea of playing games. And Lewis Good is fun. Like, uh, I'm going to win. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle uh, during the Terraforming Mars, but I was the bigger man. Like, I over, like, Brooks, Brooks, Brooks was trying to, like, do mind games, oh, throw me off my game, but I was the bigger man. I just let it go. And. You know, I feel like I was proud of my dead last performance um, because I play with honor. So, <laughs> so what you, I, yeah, sure. I, think, I think you should add on that you're also not a coward. Not a coward. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to to get somebody to do something is if you say like, "Hey, I bet you won't do that, coward," and then most of the time they'll do it. Yeah, but no. So what, the, about the game Terraforming Mars. Um, again, Nathan, congratulations. Um. What do you did you what do you guys feel about the game overall as a game? Uh, so we played it a bunch of times. I feel like since I got it. Yep. Um, what do you like about the game, um, and um, why do you feel like it works so well? Anybody open to anybody? I mean, so first of all, I think it's a great game because for the most part, there's not a lot of player interaction. There's some. And and honestly, I mean, some people like that. Some people don't like that. So you're saying you don't want to interact with I don't them? want to interact with you or anybody else at this table. I don't even want you here. I would rather just play by myself 
the solitaire version of this game if I could. On your phone. Um, yeah, obviously. No, no, it's no, it's great to play. I mean, yeah, there is a app version of it which we've played before during the height of COVID. Yeah, right? we during were, the early stages of yeah. COVID, we played uh, on the app. And funny story with that, Ryan yeah. got kicked out within like I don't know ten minutes left in the game. Well, I didn't. To be honest with you, I I, I will confess I didn't get kicked out. I got yeah. really mad and just left the game. Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought. I didn't want to like point fingers, but that's exactly what I thought at the time. And then what happened? And then the AI took over for you, and the AI won for you. <laughs> well, and I we was, all lost. Yeah, but I was playing as the AI. I was. I had it changed my name to AI. It was really me. No, that's absolutely <laughs> not the case. You got salty. You left the game. I didn't. I, didn't, I really. We got, were all playing. I got kicked and they out. were like, "Oh, Ryan just decided to leave. No, you don't want to keep playing." I got, I did, and then the AI took over and it won like booted for you. me out. And then it, it did take over. And then you guys were all salty that it, it came back and like absolutely won. right. I don't know about everybody else. I was definitely salty yeah. about that. So much to the point where you were like, "I don't want to play that game ever again because the AI came back and beat us." True. Right. Yeah. But that's, you did. That's a true. You statement. did acquiesce, and we did play it tonight. <laughs> Uh, we played it a bunch of times. Nathan was the winner. Yeah. Um, I did not win. I got last, but Lewis didn't win, so it's kind of like a victory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, just kidding. You know, I'm just kidding. Um, if you even listen to no, he doesn't listen. I don't know if you listen. <laughs> <laughs> I only get like six listens, and I know like one of them is my mom and one of them is my wife. So I don't know. Like, no, so in all seriousness... Um, no, but there. So first, what I was saying was, yeah. a lot of the game is you just trying to figure out how you're going to manage your uh, hand of cards, your money, your resources, and there is some player interaction. But there's not a lot of player interaction, so there's a lot of thought that goes into what you're doing and how you build up your resources and how you spend those. And I think that works really well um, because the player interaction is that you're trying to beat other people to certain goals. And there are times where you can take things away from other people. Yeah, there are some cards that interact, that do yeah. interact. Um, and like, there's not a lot. There aren't a lot. It's but a really I, small portion of the game. Yeah, but even like tonight, there had a card that let me like take up to eight plants away from somebody. And I think Nathan had a bunch of plants, but you had like three. And I, was <laughs> I had like, two. Two. And I was yeah. like, oh, Brooks, I'm taking yeah. your plants. <laughs> yeah. I could tell I had uh, done something to upset you earlier in the game. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But, no, so you're. So it sounds like you're saying that like it's like a you like the puzzle of the, it's like a, the figuring out like how the best get your engine going. Yeah, kind of. Okay. So the the fact that it doesn't have a lot of direct interaction is not a negative. It's a positive to you in this I mean, game. For this game. For yeah. this game, the way it's laid out, the way it plays, I think that that is a positive because there are times where people can mess with what your plans are, but for the most part, nobody's messing with your plans. I mean, I'd say, you know, 80, 90% of the time. Yeah, I think it's so, and I could be wrong, but I think for our group, like a lot of times for a game like this, we probably don't play it as optimally as like maybe other people that play this game like all the time that are really like, you know, super into it are not to say that we're not like hardcore board gamers. Like, Hey, we're, you know, we're there, you know, we just Friday got night, one. Friday night, 4am Gen Con, like <laughs> in the, in the convention room, like playing, you know, the grizzled like over and over, you know, we're like that level. <laughs> but uh, what I mean is that, you know, like when I look at your corporation, I'm not like, like hate drafting, 
cards that I know or would help you. Like I'm more just concerned about my game, like what I'm doing for my game. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, that I, Where I, think I play some it the other same groups way. Are like really into yeah. like, oh, he has that corporation. I gotta prevent any kind of. And to me, it's like, man, it's so hard to like get money to like get the cor- the, the cards to pay for them. At first, I'm not like I'm just thinking like, what can I do for to help me? I'm not like I gotta keep um, Nathan from getting this card. You know what I mean? Or yeah, you know, so. no, I yeah, I agree. And not to say there's drafting. It's not. It's not that you're passing cards. There's around. not. But I feel like there could be. And you go through the deck, you know, like uh, so. Those cards, if you don't take them, there's a chance that someone else will see it again, like later in the game. Right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, so Nathan, you're the grand champion of the night. What did you um, think about this game? You played it a bunch of times before, right? Yeah. So like, what I'm, <clears throat> what I like about it a lot is the idea behind it, and just like the the cool idea of how we're not scientifically there yet to terraform Mars. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the cards are like, um, like tundra farming and like kelp oceans and stuff like that. So I really like the art and the cards and, um, I think I got lucky with the draws I got. Like, I mean, I didn't do everything by luck, but I, I felt like I got some really good cards that really helped me. You got along. some good combos. Yeah, but it still it still takes skill to see like those combos and be able to like know like oh I should buy this card because it's gonna combo with this other card later or something. Like you still, you know, there, you do see a lot of cards. You can see a lot of cards in the game. So I don't feel and correct me if you guys differ, but or tell me you know if you feel differently, but. I don't feel like it's a game where it's like, oh, if you get these cards, you'll just win. And if you don't, you'll lose. Like, it doesn't seem like it's a game that um, has that going for it. Yeah, the first couple of times we played it, I did feel that way mm-hmm. because Lewis would always get these cards where you just build up all these things, uh, like resources yeah. on cards. And then at the end of the game, each one's worth a point or something. And he would always play that strategy. Yeah. Um, which he played that strategy he, he tonight, tonight too. Yeah, yeah. He did. But that. it didn't work. Like it yeah. did, he didn't win, but <laughs> <laughs> he he lost. And he left. <laughs> but no, so for for the first couple of plays, I did think that that was the dominant strategy. Um, but obviously that's not the case. Like there are yeah. plenty of ways that you and can other win. people like um I mean, other people have won besides Lewis, like playing different ways too, right? Like since we played it a bunch. Oh of times. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you if I saw like, oh, this one guy plays this way all the time, and he always wins that way all the time, to me, it'd be like, well, we need to look at this. It's, like maybe there's a problem. It's a but broken game. Or the something. game is like so popular. There's like no way that like if that would have come up somewhere like, along the line, I feel like there's probably a you know really good strategy to play, but again. You know, we we play it more casually probably than some other groups. Yeah, and you yeah. can't count on, like, every card coming out. Like, I mean, there's so many cards, and there's only so many rounds. Uh, some, I mean, how many times did we play through the deck where we saw cards again? Did we, we even get to that? it once. Once, yeah. And I think that may have been the last or second to last round that we even took cards from that. Yeah. But we reshuffled it once or twice. Just once. We only reshuffled it once. Wow, it and like I think it was the more. last round that gotcha. we actually had to do that. Yeah. yeah, I do understand what you're saying though, a little bit about like, oh, uh, it can be impactful in what cards you get. Because like my corporation, I get $2 back every time I played an event. And I like never was seeing any event cards. Like I just was not seeing like any event cards. And for whatever reason, you know, not to say that 
it's lucky or unlucky because you know i'm sure i had just as much chance to see them as anybody else right. I just i just never like really saw them and so i couldn't take advantage of that like yeah um, but that's not why i lost i lost the game because i made a bunch of terrible decisions <laughs> like really early on where i like I was like, oh, I'll buy this card. I want to play it. And then I'd like go to play it. And I'm like, oh, wait, I, I, the temperature has to be like seven degrees. And we're, you know, we're negative 25. And it's like, yeah. oh, why did I like not buy these other cards and buy this card? And just stuff like that is, I think, much more. Uh, the reason for me being so bad at the game versus like not seeing certain cards. But I mean, that's just my take on it. I could be wrong. I mean, uh, one thing I thought was really crazy about this game was that we only built two cities. And there's options to build like cities all over the map. And we really went green with it, like built all the oceans and then yeah. went crazy with the greenery. Well, I went crazy with the greenery. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of volcanoes here and there. But, yeah. Um, no, you're right, though. Yeah, there the, weren't a lot of The cities. landscape can change in so yeah. many different ways. That's true. Yeah, I did. Uh, I discarded a lot of cards that would have built cities just because they're so expensive. Well, and had... money is so like scarce like yeah. it's hard to come by money in the game i had one city card that let me build a city but it had to be adjacent to like two other cities which i don't know if you saw me ask lewis like how do i play this card? <laughs> like right. is this ever going to come up like we're and i guess you i'd have to like no, i don't think i could uh i held on to the card forever and i was kind of waiting to see if somebody built two cities near each other and i could plop that thing down in between them because it was pretty cheap but it's one of those things where you have to like almost build your cities with the idea of putting that one in the middle of the two because it's never just going to come up naturally in the game. So I didn't see a ton of cities, um, but I guess if you see a city and that's kind of helping your game plan, um, because the cities do give you a lot of victory points at the end, or they have the potential to give you yeah, a lot of victory absolutely. points at the end with the greenery tiles around it. Yeah. Yeah, Nathan. Uh, no, that helped me out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just, he waited until there's a giant circle of greenery and he just, Build a city right there in the middle. Last minute decision making, man. Sometimes yeah. you gotta just go for that city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, any other positives about the game before we talk about some of the drawbacks? Like anything else you guys like about the game? What about length? Like length of time? Yeah, I mean, it's like what two hours? Yeah, I'd say solid two uh, hours. I mean, it's for the game for that type of game. That's that's good in my book. The turns go by pretty quick. You think, Nathan? Yeah, yeah. There's like a very low waiting around analysis paralysis what you guys call yeah. it yeah yeah because not I, a lot of that you do have your cards in your hand and you can be thinking about your turn when it comes to you because like you said there's usually not a ton that other people can do to mess with your turn yeah so when it's not your turn you can be thinking about your turn and then your turn comes you do you know you take that action you play that card and yeah. it's the next person's turn so it does yeah. seem speedy and the more you play it i'm sure you could like really hone it down like once you knew what all the cards were like you could like really burn down the time i think yeah i do so i think that one of the best things about this game is the the points where you're able to uh like maybe you don't have enough money to do something but you have a card that playing that card lets you put down an ocean or put down a greenery yeah. tile and that gives you money back enough money for your second action to be able to play another card that does something else that's huge having those combos like that is in my opinion what makes this game like so great it makes it really fun yeah. and like lewis had it i mean i i'm not smart enough to ever have turns like that but lewis had a turn <laughs> like that where he you know played a card it gave him something it raised the heat that heat because the heat hit a certain threshold that like raised the oxygen or whatever you know some combination like that and he got like three or four points out of like one turn you know and yeah. they gave him a plant that he then used his second action to build a green thing and it's like man like 
he did so much and then on my turn i'm like uh i'll sell this card for one dollar <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think nathan you had a turn like early on where you like just even almost passed the round right yeah like, yeah like the second round i, I passed like first turn because i was like oh i can't do anything yeah. but then i looked right when lewis was about to lay down his first meeple or whatever and I'm like, oh, I could have played, and I didn't. So yeah, I had to like sit out around. So I, yeah. I still won. Still won. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about um, some drawbacks for the game. You guys have anything about the game that you don't really like? I mean, I know Brooks, you didn't want to play it because you had, were, had a bad experience with the 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 app version. But beyond that, did you have anything that you don't? Like? Well, so yeah, I mean, the app that was a unique scenario that doesn't take away from the game itself. I like the I love the board game. I think it's great. Um, I honestly, I mean, there's there aren't really any drawbacks in my opinion. I mean, yeah, it's so if you're trying to play a shorter game, you know, the time is obviously a drawback, but. If you're ready for like a heavy two-hour game, then I think it's it's great. I, if you like more player interaction, obviously this probably isn't the game for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I do think... So, I mean, you mentioned drafting earlier. And I don't know if there's a variant where you draft the cards that you keep or anything. But I do feel like that would make it more interesting. Mm. Um, if there was some drafting variant. But... I mean, who am I to say? Like, I, I don't know. I'm just adding, like... Yeah, I don't know if I there's I feel like not, that would be interesting. I don't know if there's... I know there's, like, tons of tons and tons and tons of uh, expansions for the game, yeah. of which I don't have any expansions, I don't think, um, for, for this game. And maybe there's some expansions that do add elements like that. I'm not sure. Nathan, is there anything that you don't like about the game? I mean, I'm sure you're loving it right now because you just crushed us in it, but anything... Cloud I mean, yeah, I'm still riding that magic carpet. <laughs> yeah. Uh... But I mean, I, I feel like it took me a long time to like figure out the game, and like mm-hmm. you don't go like full tilt into buying every card that you can put your greasy hands on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like you got to be really selective in and what you pick up, and you really got to spend your money wisely. Like Brooke said, like right. it, it's really hard to come by money. So you feel like it took you a few plays to like kind of gronk, like get your head around like how best to like play it. Right. Okay. For me, I think that's a, definitely a fair assessment. But for me, I feel like my negative for the game. So, like you, Nathan, for me, the best part about the game is like, wow, this is based on real science, and like I like that. That's cool. Like these are real ways that we could like take on an endeavor of terraforming another planet. Which I think, as a species, we, you know, we owe it to ourselves to like try to make sure that we, you know, don't go extinct. And one of the best ways to, you know increase our chances is by inhabiting another planet and avoiding like some type of terrible disaster, like an asteroid or something. Um, but, um, the thing I don't like about the game really is the art on the cards. Like it's a mix of like almost like photos and then like some wonky art and like the art on the cards and then the stupid, um, player sheets are (laughs) so thin and the cubes can so easily be knocked around. You have to like buy one of those like protector, like one of those things that keeps those cubes in a certain area. But every time I go to like buy one, like it's like thirty dollars for like four or five or whatever, and I'm like, man, I could just buy like a whole new game for thirty (laughs) dollars, you know? So it's hard for me to pull the trigger on that. But I do think that like that would really improve the game if you had like a hard plastic shell with little holes cut out for the cubes, and you have to worry about knocking them around and. I'm I've I just uh, need to pull the trigger and like bite the bullet and buy buy that set of those on Etsy or something. But yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, 
I, I think that's always really nice to have for any game. Um, uh, Cthulhu Death May Die has stuff like that. Yeah. You know, the little plastic clip-on cases mm-hmm, for yeah. the cards. Um, so yeah, that'd definitely be nice. But it, And I also, I remember the first time we played it, which I haven't thought about it since, but the first time we played it, I do remember looking at the cards and thinking like, some of these are pictures, like photographs. Some mm-hmm. of them are like drawings or like artwork. And some of them, yeah, like just... It's just like a desert, and it's you a know, stock image. Yeah, a stock image that yeah. they got off like Getty Images. There's know. not a cohesive graphic design feel to the game, um, but 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 it is an easy game to learn to play. It's just a little bit harder to learn to play really well. But like in yeah. terms yeah, of like that's true. how to play the game, it's like you can show me how to play the game like and pretty quickly like you know like oh like that's what know, like four pages play a card and like you do this and yeah. you, just, you essentially every card tells you exactly like what it does and what you need to play it and everything. So it's pretty easy to gronk, but it's, it's can, like he was saying, it can to play well, to know like when to buy cards and when not, and like how, just how hard it is to get money, how hard it is to get new cards. That part comes a little bit with like experience because I'm like Nathan, like when I first started getting cards, I'm like, I just want to buy all these, (laughs) all these cards look cool, you know? It's not a game that you can. It's not a game that you can play one time and be like, okay, I feel like I know that game, yeah, and I'm, uh, you know, I have an experience with that game. You have like you play through it the first time to get a feel for the game, and then you play through it multiple times after that to really start to understand it yeah. and like get a sense of how like what the best strategy is. I mean, I think at BeachCon we played it multiple times in a row. Right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So I mean, I would play it right now. Like I, I, <laughs> I want to redeem myself. Um, but no, I think overall, it's, I can see why it's so successful. I mean, the game is, uh, you know, it's an evergreen. At this point, it's an evergreen, evergreen game, meaning mm. that it's a game that they just keep making and selling and making and selling, and has made I'm sure Stronghold Games as an American distributor tons of money. Um, hopefully, it has anyway. Um, I mean, so, I'd buy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's really all I had. I definitely recommend the game if you are looking for you know medium weight um, game. Um, what I would consider to be light to medium weight game. I mean, it's not ticket to ride, but it's also not you know something like super heavy. Um, and it's it's a game that is getting like really really more popular. So I'm sure you'll see it out and about. Um, and if you want to play it, send me an email. I'll drive to you wherever you are in the world. <laughs> we can like bust it out and play it. Uh, do you guys have anything else before we wrap it up? No, good. No, overall, I like the game. All right, cool. So I'll be back with a wrap up. Thanks. Wouldn't hurt me, would you, sweetheart? Sweetheart, be reasonable. After all, we're married. Consider that a divorce. Hello? Hey man, what's doing? How are you? Hey, doing okay. So, you rang? Hey, I called you because I had a question. Okay. So, first of all, you're being recorded. I should let you know that. Okay, that's fine. There's probably some legalities involved. Do you remember the movie, 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Total Recall? Uh-huh. Do you feel like Total Recall 
is all happening inside Arnold's mind? Or do you feel like it's like really happening? I think it's meant to be ambiguous. Okay. Um, so what do I think really? I, I really am not. Not sure? Yeah, I'm not. I don't. My assumption is, yeah, it, it is happening in his mind, but um, but uh, I'm not. I'm certainly not absolutely certain of that. So you feel like you could view the movie either way. Either interpretation is valid. I think you can. I think that was the intention, don't you? Yeah, I, I do. I think so. What's your favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger quote from any movie? Favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger quote from any movie? Yeah. Well, I guess it has to be I'll Be Back. <laughs> From Terminator? From Terminator. It's the law. <laughs> hey, Ryan, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Justin? Uh, pretty good. How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. Hey, first thing I should tell you, you're being recorded. I think I need to tell you that for legality or legal reasons. Recorded, huh? Yeah. Were you doing a podcast? <laughs> I just have a quick question for you. Do you remember the uh, 1990 movie Total Recall starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? Of course. So, do you, Paul Verhoeven. Right, Paul Verhoeven. So, do you, when you remember this movie, do you think of it as a movie that Arnold is actually like doing, like where he's, like his character is like performing these events, or do you feel like it's something that's a false memory that's all in his mind? Does that make sense? Yes, yes, I know. That's the whole thing. I think that it's filmed to where you can you have arguments either way. Okay, so it's like ambiguous. There's you could uh, interpret it in either yeah. direction. I, I kind of tend to think that it was all in his mind. It's all in his mind. Okay, so if you had to pick one side or the other, you would pick it's all in his mind. Yeah. Okay. Because even when he was sitting down in the chair, they're like, "Oh, uh, blue sky on Mars." Yeah. You know, right. And right. And they're showing the ancient ancient alien artifacts. Yeah. You know, and he selected all this stuff before he sat down in the chair. So Right. Would you say that's your favorite Paul Verhoeven movie, or do you like Robocop better or Starship Troopers better or another one better? I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. I like I really like Total Recall, Robocop, Starship Troopers, and uh Flesh and Blood. They're all like really awesome. Okay. Um, awesome. So I guess in closing, I did want to ask you one more question. What is your favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger quote from any movie? It doesn't have to be Total Recall. It could be any, any movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger quote. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think the funniest one is, uh, ones are like when he's Mr. Freeze. He's like, everybody freeze. <laughs> I, ice to see you. <laughs> Yeah, so that was from uh, which Batman? That's with the with Clooney, right? Is that the one with Clooney? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the one when it completely went off the rails. <laughs> okay, all right, cool, man. Well, look, I appreciate um, you taking my call and answering a couple questions about Total Recall, and you should uh, listen to the next episode of the podcast, and you might hear oh, yourself. Awesome. Yeah, I really <laughs> like that Blade Runner one, man. That was awesome. Cool. In depth. Yeah, yeah, and we go pretty deep in the. Um, total recall too so um you get to hear my thoughts on it and charles's and brooks's and much other people you know so awesome um, i'm looking forward to it all right cool man thanks a lot thanks for picking up all right, all right no bye. Problem. bye hello hey brett this is ryan how are you i'm good hey just so you know you're being recorded for the podcast for i gotta tell you that for legal reasons i think 
Roger that. <laughs> All right. So listen, do you remember the the 1990 movie Total Recall um, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes. So in this movie, when you think about it, when you remember it, do you remember it as Arnold Schwarzenegger is really um, going through these events? Or is it like all in a, a memory, a false memory that was put into him at uh, Recall? He is not in a simulation. I think it's pretty – I mean there's a point as a viewer where you think maybe he is and where are they, what direction are they going. But um, I think they made it pretty clear that he is most definitely not in a simulation. He is experiencing the events in real time, real life. Okay. So you think it's something that's like really happening – Yes, and and that's like in the movie. Yes, yeah, and the, yeah. Well, not in real life, but <laughs> in, the, in the movie. And your in your evidence for this is it just fits. It just seems like that makes the most sense to you. Yeah, it's super believable, especially with the mutants and stuff. And uh-huh. yeah, but the doctor when the doctor comes with the the bead of sweat like that. There's like a moment in the movie where he like is doubting himself. And then, like, he yeah. sees, like, this bead of sweat that the doctor has, and he, like, fully commits to, like, oh, no, this is really happening. Yeah, and then and he just, I mean, then he just murders him, yeah? He just murders him. Yeah. He's just like, what's up? Yeah, he just, like, shoots I see him. see that sweat. Shoots him in the head. Yeah, you the think he could have maybe knocked him out, you know, or something? I don't know. He just murdered him. Everything is believable. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, just everything really does make sense. Like, even why the, the, the that guy that character has a heavy austrian accent like it makes sense why <laughs> yeah why so why does why does up in austria why does he have a heavy austrian <laughs> accent like how does that fit into the like the continuity of the film by your estimation like all like all order Schwarzenegger movies they never explain yeah it, you know? yeah <laughs> It's never, never explained. All right, so let me ask you, what is you know your people question? Like, you know how many times I talk to people and they go, um, "Oh, you know, this is not really believable." But the movies we grew up with, like all the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, this guy has a heavy Austrian accent, and, and nobody questions it. You know, <laughs> now people question everything. Like, well, I can't really see that happening. And you're like, well, can you see a, you know, a, a kindergarten teacher that's a body, a professional bodybuilder that has a heavy Austrian accent? Who's really a cop? And they just like put him in the school to yeah, take care really of your a kids. New York City police officer. Yeah. Because when he was a boy growing up in Austria, that's something he always wanted to do: be a New York City police detective. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so not it doesn't have to be related to Total Recall, but what is your favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger quote from a movie that he gives in a movie? It's from Kindergarten Cop. Who is your daddy, and what does he do? <laughs> it's the oh, greatest. That's the that's the best he one. The class, he sits them all down. Yeah. Ask a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Yeah. Who is your daddy and what does he do? That's great. <laughs> he says, uh, It's funny every time. He says, uh, My name is Detective John Kimball. <laughs> I'm a cop, you idiot. Yeah, I'm a cop, you idiot. Yeah. There's a lot of great kindergarten quotes because they're like really weird ones, you know? Yeah. Like when he talks about the fist, you know that? Do you know I that one? Le- I hope you leave enough room in. What does he say? I hope you leave enough room in your stomach because I'm going to. No, 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 no. He goes, I hope you left enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's a pretty good one. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and of course, you know, the, there's like the famous uh, prank phone calls with the soundboard, the Arnold soundboard. That yes. that gets a lot of that from uh, Kindergarten Cop. Thank you for calling Gateway, where we put customer service in, in front of whatever. How may I help you? 
goes, my CPU is a known net processor, a loading computer. And that girl goes, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he calls the computer repair store as the, as the Terminator. Yeah, that's yeah. some pretty fun stuff. We're like, what kind of computer do you have? He's like, yeah. He's like, what, what model? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, look, I appreciate you taking my call and um, participating in the podcast and letting us know your thoughts on Total Total Recall. Thanks, man. Yep. Take All care, right, buddy. bye. Big thanks to Charles, Justin, and my brother, Brett, for picking up when I call and let me ambush them with some questions about Total Recall to see what they remember about the movie. So uh, there was no warning about that. I just picked up the phone and called them. And so they're pretty good sports about that. So thanks uh, to you guys. Film Hierarchy is a segment where I take a look at a topic or a theme and then discuss five movies that I wholeheartedly recommend that relate to that topic. Number five, The Born Identity, 2002, directed by Doug Lyman. This movie is one of the many of the type where the protagonist has amnesia at the start of the film. Matt Damon plays Jason Bourne, an enhanced spy who works for a secretive branch of the American Intelligence Agency. He starts out the movie with no memory, having been fished out of the water with gunshot wounds. The movie is his search for his identity, all the while avoiding authorities and assassins sent out to get him. With insanely good action sequences, a strong cast, and a fun soundtrack, the original Bourne movie, that would later become a much bigger franchise, is well worth the watch. Plus, you get to see Matt Damon drive the hell out of a Mini Cooper. Number four, Rashomon, 1950, directed by the legendary Akira Kurosawa. Set in the 8th century, at the Rashomon Gate into what would become Kyoto, the movie is a psychological thriller. The film shows four versions of the same event, as the participants testify to their recollections in court. This device shows the viewer how memory is impacted by ego and self-interest. It also stars the coolest actor of all time, Toshira Mifune, as a bandit. Number three, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, 2004, directed by Michel Gondry. This movie starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet is about a couple going through a breakup and all the heartbreak that entails. When the breakup proves to be too painful, Winslet's character Clementine pursues a sci-fi option of memory erasure, wanting to remove all the memories she has of their relationship. Jim Carrey's character, Joel, finds out about Clementine's decision to go forward with post-breakup mind alteration and decides to undergo the procedure himself. The film is set primarily in Joel's mind and told in a non-linear way. It's an exploration of love, memory, and fate. It tackles the old saying, it is better to love and lost than never to have loved at all. The combo of director Gondry and writer Charlie Kaufman make this movie a must watch. 
Number two, Dark City. Vitals, a 1998 sci-fi neo-noir film directed by Alex Proyas. What it's about? A man wakes up in a bathtub with blood on his face that isn't his. Looking around the room he's unfamiliar with, he sees a postcard, some clothes, a goldfish, and a murdered woman. On top of that, he doesn't know who he is. Set in a city that's always night, our protagonist must seek out his memories as well as escape from the strangers who seem to possess unbelievable powers and the ability to mix and match memories and identities of the city's residents. Dark City exists in a 1930s era city set out of time. The movie is dark, gloomy, strange, and stars Jennifer Connelly. What's not to like? Number one, Memento, 2000, directed by Christopher Nolan. Memento stars Guy Pearce as Leonard Shelby. Shelby is sort of an opposite born in that he can remember his life up to the point of an attack on him and his wife. However, due to a head injury suffered during the attack, he is unable to develop any new memories. And so about every 15 minutes or so, his short-term memories are lost. This would be a difficult position for anyone. And what makes it harder for Shelby is that he's trying to piece together who attacked him and murdered his wife. The story unfolds in an inventive way, and Pierce's performance is stellar as always. The film works to make the viewer think about memory, how it shapes us, develops us, and ultimately how it drives us. Quaid, start the reactor, Quaid. Quaid, start the reactor. What was it? The, the name of that character was... Quato. Uh, God, thank God he didn't have a bead of sweat going down his forehead. Quaid would have iced him too. Yeah. So the name of the segment is called Be Kind Rewind. And of course that refers to, if you guys, or some of you are probably old enough to remember, when you go to the video store, you get a movie that had little stickers on the VHS tapes that you rented that said Be Kind Rewind. Because if you didn't rewind it, that meant the clerk had to put it in the rewinder and wait for it to rewind before you could put it back out on the shelf and let someone else get it. You know, it's just one of those common courteous things, but it's mostly used to identify like video store culture. And in case you didn't know, I worked at a video store and multiple video stores for over a decade, as did a lot of the people that you hear on the show. Video store culture sort of uh, is definitely missed. And a little bit of the segment is bringing that back. So it's just going to be a discussion of stuff that I've watched recently or games that I've played recently since the last time I recorded, and it's stuff that's new to me. So maybe it's not the newest movie, but it's new, or the newest game, but it's new to me. So, yeah, so the first thing that I wanted to talk about is the movie Villains. It's a 2019 American uh, horror comedy thriller. <laughs> it, star- it stars Bill Skarsgård as uh, Mickey, Micah Monroe as Jules, his girlfriend, and they are young, sort of Bonnie and Clyde types. You know, they're going around robbing convenience stores to get gas money to get to the next town. Um, and they go to, um, they run out of gas and they go breaking into home trying to find money or vehicle or 
gasoline, something that they can utilize to keep going on their journey. They're trying to get to Florida where they have this amazing idea to sell seashells because they think they can get seashells for free at the beach and then sell them. So yeah, that's the level of uh, intelligence that they have. But they're Bonnie and Clyde types um, and they break into this house. You know, they're, they are robbers and drug users and essentially they, they break into the wrong house. They break into a house that's owned by Kira Sedgwick and uh, Jeffrey Donovan. And the house that they break into has a lot going on. A lot of dark stuff is going on in this house. And the movie is essentially almost just these four characters interacting with each other and, you know, vying for control over the situation. So it's, it can be pretty dark. It's also can be pretty funny just how inept some of the characters are and just how weird some of the characters are. Um, so it's definitely one I think you should, you know, check out. Um, it was directed by uh, Dan Burke and I'm not familiar with um, what else he's done. But I definitely will be on the lookout for any other movies by him. And so that was Villains. It was a 2019 film. In terms of other stuff I watched, I recently watched on Amazon a television series. It's a 10-episode um, um, action comedy, I would say dark comedy <laughs> television series. Maybe a, dra- maybe a dramedy. Um, it's called Wayne. And Wayne is a story of a of a character named Wayne played by Mark McKenna, who is faced with a unstable home life and decides that he's going to leave his hometown of Brockton, Massachusetts and go to Florida. And with him is going to girlfriend, maybe friend, maybe girlfriend <laughs> named Dell. And so the movie is an expert or the TV series, I should say is an exploration of both their relationship and their home life, their living situation, how they got to the point in their lives where they are, um, high school romance, and just the insane quality of Wayne to be consciously trying to do the right thing. Essentially, he's a character with a very solid black and white moral compass. He doesn't see any gray. He doesn't have the ability to lie or, you know, cheat or steal or he's, he's just extremely honest to a fault and he has no sense of proportionality. So any type of um, infraction against him or someone that he cares about is met with extreme brutality. <laughs> and so it can lead to a lot of uh, funny situations, but the, the, the most interesting part of the, the TV show Wayne is that Wayne himself isn't necessarily a tremendous fighter or anything. He, although there's lots of violent confrontations in the TV show, it's that he just has this unyielding capacity to endure tremendous amounts of pain. And he also has an unbelievable willingness to ratchet up any encounter to um, unbelievable like levels of threat. So <laughs> it's a really, really good show with a lot of heart. It's very funny. Again, it is a dark comedy. It's not going to be for everybody. A lot of people out there listening to this are not going to dig this show. I uh, loved it. Aaron loved it. And it's the best thing I've seen on TV in in 2020, Um, which I I think it is actually a 2019 release. But, you know, again, it's new to me. Um, So that was Wayne. The next 
thing I want to talk about is another TV show. Um, this one is on Netflix, and it's really popular right now. It's kind of the talk of the town, I guess. And that's The Queen's Gambit. And this is the fictionalization of a chess grandmaster um, named Beth Harmon, who is played like per- perfectly, I guess, or really well by Anya Taylor-Joy, who, you know, I know I've seen her in other things before, but she just really carries this show on her back. And um, Queen's Gambit is a story of, again, a, an orphan who comes from a really troubled home, who has some issues with um, dependency um, as she grows up. And she's also ends up being a, a brilliant chess player and it follows her ascension in the chess world and her struggles both with her home life and with her love life and with her, you know, uh, drugs and alcohol. And it's a really good, it's an interesting, cool show. If you, especially if you like chess, I mean, I like chess. I'm not a very good chess player, but I've a game I've always loved it. You know, it's something that my dad taught me when I was younger and I've always enjoyed playing it both, you know, with him and my brother and, and my kids and, I have a son named Rook, if that tells you anything about my appreciation of the game of chess. Um, so it was a really interesting, you know, miniseries for me on both of the chess parts and also the, you know, the drama. Um, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube about it where they actually play out. A lot of the games in the show are based on real life chess games. And so there's Matt, you can go and watch videos of those matches and they talk about the real life you know, players of those matches and sort of what the creators of the show took, why they chose those matches. And it's really good to get some very high level technical insight into the matches that were played if you're at all interested in that. But if you're not interested in chess at all, it's still a really good show. And the high levels of popularity that it's it's has, clearly it's like resonating with people that aren't just, you know, big time chess fans or aficionados. Um, although chess is on the rise, I know on Twitch, Right now, the chess channel has been gaining a lot of popularity, and it seems like it's a, something that's um, picking up. Maybe in part because you can do it, you know, online so easily <laughs> in this COVID world. So yeah, that was the Queen's Gambit. It's a 2020 Netflix miniseries. So check it out. So this next movie is one that I just stumbled upon. Like, you know, I, I spend the majority of my time just endlessly cycling through. Disney Plus and Apple and CBS and Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and like because I have all these channels that I shouldn't have and I, I'm just constantly like seeing what's on there and trying to find something I haven't seen that looks interesting and that's what happened in the case of this movie and that's the 2020 American comedy horror film again another comedy horror um, called The Wolf of Snow Hollow. And the interesting thing about this movie, it was written, directed, and stars as it stars uh, Jim Cummings. So it's a kind of a one-man operation here. This guy, he writes and directs and stars in the movie. And I'm not going to say too much about the movie because um, I don't want to give away too much. But basically, it is about a small-town lawman who's Jim Cummings in his somewhat inept Utah um, small-town like police, you know, department that he runs. And they're trying to investigate a series of attacks, which all indications are pointing that's potentially uh, a werewolf. And so that's kind of the setup. But the interesting thing about it is it's like uh, one of these movies where I wasn't sure as I was watching it, I was like, I like this movie and I don't know why I can't figure out why I like it. The it's, it has this weird, his movies, 
So after I watched this movie, I went and saw, you know, immediately I was like, oh, what else has this guy done? He had done another movie previously that was uh, more popular, but I, I just, for whatever reason, had missed the boat on that called Thunder Road. And both, so I watched that and both of that movie and the one I'm talking about today, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which I did like much better, um, both have the same kind of sense of sensibility in that they're really weird. It's just like delivery is almost like cringy. Where he kind of plays like this real cringy guy who doesn't have a filter, kind of like the early seasons of The Office, Michael Scott. But you kind of root for him because you feel like, oh, his heart's in the right place. He's just like a uh, uh, real f up, and he doesn't he can't get his life together. But you kind of are rooting for him to like you know bring it all together. And so there's some just incredibly cringy parts and that leads to some, you know, some humor, some, you know, some comedic elements. Um, and that sort of thread of that sensibility and his inability to be like a good um, like parent or be a good worker or an employee, be a good um, partner, romantic partner, uh, husband, boyfriend, whatever. That those that thread is in like both of his works that I've seen, and it seems to be part of um, you know his vision as a filmmaker about you know. So yeah, I don't know. Check it out. I I stopped on it because I like the name. The poster <laughs> looked cool, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of it. And then um, I had not heard of Jim Cummings. And I watched it, and both myself and my wife, we really dug it. Like, it's a weird movie. Like, it's not most of people that watch this. A lot of people that are gonna, you know, be like, "Oh, I'll take his recommendation. I'll go watch it." Some of them are gonna be like, "Oh, why did I watch this? Like, what what was happening in this movie?" But I think so others are gonna like really dig it. So yeah, take it with a grain of salt, and you know, be risky. You only live once. You gotta take a chance in your life sometime, and uh, check out The Wolf of Snow Hollow. So the next thing I want to talk about. And this Be Kind Rewind segment is a board game. And that game is called Clans of Caledonia. It came out in 2017. And it was designed by Juma Aljojo, or, or maybe Juma Aljuju. I'm not sure exactly. And then the art was does, done by uh, Clemens Franz. And he's a super famous artist for board games. Uh, he does like incredibly boring and stoic looking art. <laughs> um, which is really popular in the type of board game that this is, which is a, a, a Euro game where you're playing uh, like people that are in 19th century Scotland and you're transitioning from uh, agriculture to a more industrialized economy. And so in this game, you are taking actions to um, do things like produce resources and then it has the, the the ability to sell resources based on how much they're worth at any given time based on um, how many people are buying and selling I mean other players are buying and selling those goods um so it's a you know I'd say it's like a mid to heavy you know euro game um with a pretty dry theme I mean you're kind of moving around a lot of um, little cubes <laughs> essentially. Uh, on these hexagon tiles. Um, some of the, you know, there are like cow meeples and sheep meeples and bread meeples and things like that you're producing. Barrels of whiskey meeples. Um, and so with that being said, probably not the best setup in terms of the description. It's super fun. Like, it was crazy fun. <laughs> I don't know. 
uh, I, I think it was pretty well received by everybody that played it, but I like really dug it. So this is a game that Nathan got for, I don't know, Christmas last year, or his birthday last year. And we just hadn't got around to playing it um, in part because we have, I, lit- I, I personally literally have like 38 games. I think I counted this week that um, I have not yet played. <laughs> and so we all have this incredibly big backlog of games that we need to get played. And, Clans of Caldonia was one of them, and we, you know, learned the rules before we got there. He came a little bit early, um, worked on setting it up, and we watched some videos to help, you know, give you the tutorials so it didn't take too much, too long to try to teach it. Everybody kind of came prepared, which really helps, I think. And I dug it. Like, my only regret is I would just want to play it again. But like I said, we have this backlog of games that we're trying to systematically work through as well as play a bunch of games that are 2020 releases that we own but haven't played yet. So that would hopefully we can make some kind of like end of year review, best games of 2020 list. So I don't know when it's going to come back around again, but I definitely look forward to it. Um, it's, uh, yeah, Clans of Caledonia, one of four players, about a two hour, I'd say a solid two hour runtime, um, depending obviously on player count. So give that a try if you're interested in a Euro game set in 19th century Scotland. All right, thanks. So the last film I want to look at for this Beacon Rewind section, again, is just the product of me like endlessly flipping through channels or trying to find um, something to watch. Um, And I stumbled upon this 2017 British drama called Daphne. The actual tagline of the movie is, uh, or at least what's on the cover, like a romantic comedy with all the BS taken out. And I have to say, it's definitely not a romantic comedy. It doesn't seem like a romantic comedy at all. It seems definitely to be a straight up, you know, drama. Um, there, there is the notion of the search for love and isolation and loneliness that Daphne is struggling against. Daphne is played by Emily Beecham. The movie takes place um, in modern day London or t- present day London, I guess. And she's a, like a cook or she works as a chef. I'm not sure exactly what her rank is in the, the kitchen, but she's not the main head chef and she's definitely not the you know second in command, but I think she is aspiring to become, you know, higher uh, ranked in the kitchen. And she's just kind of like a screw up. I mean, she is always getting in trouble at work. She doesn't focus on her job. She's drinks way too much. She doesn't get along with her mom. She can't have a, she's not interested at all in having a relationship. Um, she definitely just, interested in a string of very meaningless, like one night stand type situations. Um, and that's at the start of the movie. <laughs> and then when sort of the crux of the movie, what the, the catalyst for the movie is that she's the witness uh, to a violent crime um, happens pretty early on um, in the film. And then that kind of, that precipitates even a further, what I would say spiraling downward um, that the movie sort of follows along. Um, that being said, there is, you know, some optimism, there's some character growth, and she comes to some realizations. Um, but it was a movie when I watched it, and my wife Erin and I watched it. Um, I didn't, I was like, I didn't like it. And she's like, I didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't like it either. And then the more, you know, as dates, well, sometimes a movie, when you don't like it at first, and then you find yourself like thinking about it a little bit more and more. And over time, you realize, like, oh, you know, that movie. It was. It did have to say something interesting, or it did have like a part that I liked, or um, the actress I liked, or something. And so there's something about the film that I did like it. Um, it's not a. This isn't a uh, 
wholehearted endorsement, run out and watch this movie. But if it sounds at all interesting to you, then check it out. I mean, it's um, pretty recent, I guess, you know, 2017 um, British film. And uh, again, that's uh, called Daphne. That will bring this week's episode of Board Game Cinema to a close. I want to thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I also want to thank my guests, Brooks and Nathan, as well as the sponsor for this week's episode, Johnny Cab. Last week's question of the week was, what was the first movie you remember going to see in the movie theater? A lot of great movies ended up on this list of responses. For Tanya, it was Little Mermaid, a Disney classic. For Adam, it was Tim Burton's Batman. For Charles, it was Dr. No and From Russia With Love in a double feature. Nathan's first movie he remembers going to see was Return of the Jedi, and he remembers that he fell asleep in the opening scene. Lewis's first movie was The Rocketeer. Ashley remembers going to see The Lion King. And Aaron's first movie that she remembers seeing in the movie theater was Raiders of the Lost Ark. For me, it was Fox and the Hound in 1981. I distinctly remember watching it at the Springfield Mall Movie Theater in Virginia with my mom. What's great about this list is I remember seeing so many of these movies on it myself as well. I saw Return of the Jedi four times at the movies. I remember waiting in line with my dad to see it. I saw Batman at the Midnight Show at Tackett's Mill Movie Theater. I saw The Rocketeer with my whole family at Potomac Mills Mall and Raiders of the Lost Ark as well. This week's question is pretty hard. I want to ask you, what is your favorite Thanksgiving-themed or Thanksgiving movie? As always, please visit our social media sites, join the Facebook group, and like the Facebook page. Please share a post so more people can find out about the show. I post pictures of us playing Terraforming Mars on Instagram, so please go over there and check that out. See our happy, smiling faces. I also, from time to time, post on Twitter, If you have a chance, please leave a review about the show wherever it is that you listen. I'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. Until then, take care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Baby, you make me wish I had three hands.